Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And during this next hour, I trust we will break through to new ways of imagining the world. I'm so excited. You can tell in my voice, I think. So, for example, what does quantum physics have to do with economics and money? And how would quantum thinking inspire more creativity? And here's a big one. Can humanity come together to once and for all eliminate poverty and hunger? Our guest today suggests a plan of action for implementing new ideas in his latest book for sustainable change on our planet. Ideas such as seeking jobs that bring meaning and value into personal lives, revitalizing business with new leadership, transforming the energy of money, learning new ways to consume and new ways to produce all designed to bring abundance and sustainability to not just the economy, but to the planet and to our very existence. Do you sound intrigued? I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart, and relax into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. In his private life, Dr. Amit Guswami is a practitioner of spirituality and transformation. He calls himself a quantum activist. And you most likely have seen him in the film, What the Bleep Do We Know? He's also a highly respected theoretical quantum physicist and served as a full professor at the University of Oregon's Department of Physics from 1968 through 1997. He is currently a pioneer of the new paradigm of science called Science Within Consciousness, an idea he talks about in his seminal book, The Self-Aware Universe, where he also solves the quantum measurement problem, elucidating the famous observer effect. He has written several other popular books based on his research on quantum physics and consciousness. Many are on my bookshelves, and I'm holding two of them right now, Quantum Economics and Quantum Creativity. I am a huge fan, so I'm so happy to welcome Dr. Goswami. Welcome. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for having me. Oh, I am thrilled to have you, and um, I mentioned I just want to just play in all of these yummy topics, and I actually am going to really do things a little bit different on my show today because I am so inspired by your full body of work, and I want to make sure I talk about your latest book, but your the topics that you have covered are so important, and I just want to be able to provide all of that for our listeners today, but first... Amit, we have a traditional first question here on the show, and I like to ground our conversation in a bigger perspective. So can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Well, you know, the quantum physics, quantum worldview uh, gives you a very specific 
answer to that, and this is not philosophy. This is scientifically established by quantum theory, and uh, measurements at both micro level of existence and also macro uh, and human level of existence as well. So we look at the all things connected as connection that is innate by virtue of the fact that we are conscious beings. We uh, make a representation of consciousness in us, ourselves. Um, consciousness is connectedness. This is the point that quantum physics says unequivocally. The connectedness is all at once. There is no time needed. So this is the definition of a self, oneness. Oneness cannot be separated. There is no separation. Instantly, every part of oneness is connected. So every part of oneness is the oneness. There is no part, in other words. It's a whole that cannot be divided. And that's what we are in a fundamental way. Now, on this oneness, of course, the appearance of separateness arises. Um, and, of course, we should value that because there, there we, we can connect only locally with signals. And, of course, that um, creates the impression that we are separate from each other and separate from the world. In addition to that, our biological evolution has given us some brain circuits, which also bring separateness. But the challenge of humanity is exactly, you know, in spite of the separateness, how do we go through the illusion of that? You talked about it in the very beginning. How do we go through the illusion of that and discover that oneness? What quantum physics does is help us setting a perspective that, look, it's already established. Um, so there is nothing for you to disbelieve or believe. It's not a belief system. Um, what you need to do, however, is to discover it within you because uh, unless you do that, the separateness of illusion doesn't go away. And unless that separateness disappears by your own experience, it is very hard to give up your selfish ways of living and especially dealing with society and culture. So this is, it is very important to take uh, you know, what is called spiritual path, but now you can also call quantum path, scientific path, whatever you want. But the goal is to discover that oneness for yourself. Mm. Thank you, Amit. That is a, a perfect foundation for our conversation today, and, and I knew you would uh, do an amazing job answering that first quick, first traditional question because this is what you live and breathe, and your whole body of work has really introduced quantum physics to so many areas um, from spirituality to quantum thinking to creativity to now economics in your new book. So I, what I wanted to do, this is different from today, to help again kind of explore this is just I, I picked out a few of my favorite quotes that you have written and I wanted to just introduce that to our listeners to continue on this foundation because I think this fundamental shift in consciousness, just like you mentioned, is really imperative as we're working toward shifting the consciousness on the planet for individuals and for our collective here. So one quote, this is, this is kind of a fundamental quote as we're talking about the shift in consciousness, you said, you wrote, if ordinary people really knew that consciousness and not matter is the link that connects us with each other, 
and the world. Then their views about war and peace, environmental pollution, social justice, religious values, and all other human endeavors would change radically. Let's go into that a little bit more, Amit, because I would love to hear you really speak into that this really could change our worldviews as a yeah. whole. Yes, it does. This is what, uh, what really I was appealing to discovering this oneness for ourselves. When we do that, it becomes clear that the environment is not separate from us. And then, you know, um, there are little things that we don't do, but we could. And some of us are aware enough about sustainability, about pollution, about global warming, that we feel guilty if we don't do it, you know. But the reason we don't do it is that we don't feel the connections um, within. Uh, if we do, then what happens is that you just, you just develop the habit. You, you take time out until it becomes a habit that when you leave a room, you don't need to have the light on. Um, of course, uh, if it is fluorescent light, one can argue that uh, the energy is more or less the same if you leave it on because a short time. So, you know, there is those kinds of calculations which uh, sometimes are dangled before us. But a good rule of thumb is to learn these uh, energy-conserving habits. Um, if you really feel that, yes, you are connected and you want to save the planet, you want to conserve energy, you don't think about it every time you do it. You just develop a habit. That kind of thing requires to feel that oneness. Mm. That oneness is felt best through um, our feelings. You know, sometimes um, people through the adage, uh, do women have uh, better access to intuition because they are uh, more accessible to their heart. You know, lot, long time for a long time we have poo-pooed the idea and people make jokes about it, or oh, women's intuition. Come on, you know, that kind of thing. But now it is becoming very clear. Intuition is our connection to that oneness. So now what happens is that in the brain, with thinking mind, which brain uh, enables us to cultivate, uh, thinking mind and brain, when they come in, they produce separateness um, galore because that's what the job of rational mind is. It's a step-by-step um, -step algorithmic thing. It's a computer thing. So we become really separate when we identify with the brain. So women, uh, because they identify with the heart, they have better access to this intuitive domain, and therefore they have better access to love, which connects us too uh, very wonderfully. So, um, you know, these are kinds of things. If men become more interested in love, and that may involve taking another look at your sexuality, so it's challenging, and, um, you know, most men wouldn't want to do it. But if you could, um, if you, once you get the idea that you are connected, then you would do it, because you want to stay connected, and love is your way, one way of staying connected. Women are much more connected, you will notice all men, than you, men. So that's a le lesson to learn. Are you uh, losing out if you uh, be connected? Well, in conventional terms, you may, because you won't be as selfish anymore. You'll be taking care of the planet. You'll be taking care of others. And 
so your life will change. But I tell you this, if you truly knew the meaning of abundance, meaning of wealth, they would, then you wouldn't worry. Because although you are losing out a few pennies uh, of material wealth, but you are gaining enormously in terms of mental wealth and happiness and well-being. That's mm. what abundance means. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. You know, that, and see, this really sets the stage for this, this next quote that I picked out because we're talking about spirituality. And, and so I'm going to read this quote, but I would love to hear how you, Amit, a quantum physicist, a theoretical quantum physicist, discovered spirituality. We're talking about this oneness, so it's a natural lead-in here. But let me read this quote. All the world of experience, including matter, is the material manifestation of transcendent forms of consciousness. And I would love for you to expand on, on that idea right there. Yes, this idea has, has two sides. I mean, the matter and consciousness. Sometimes, you know, when we get too much into oneness, we um, think that the material representations, the role of matter is to be undervalued. This is also a wrong tactic because our experiences are possible because of matter being able to make representations of consciousness and its uh, possibilities. So we should never forget matter is needed for making representations. Only in the material body do we make representations, do we experience. There is no experience in that oneness. For experience, consciousness has to separate itself into two parts. One part that observes, that sees, that experiences, and the other part that is observed and seen and experienced. This is the way the world is constructed. And because of it, we must also similarly value matter. So consciousness and matter both are important when you get that idea. Then what we do is that we um, proceed towards being what we are, we fully appreciate and value what we are, this material body and this very um, sometimes very selfish, very uh, self-centered habit patterns that we collect with this body and uh, go from there and discover for ourselves the uh, wholeness that we also are and start living in a way that is balanced between the transcendent and the uh, represented and the immanent, as they call it in spiritual traditions. And that if we make that the goal, this balance, uh, when that happens, uh, life becomes a very different thing. I mean, it, 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 sometimes we call it flow. Uh, I don't know what flow means to you, but you may have seen basketball players playing in a flow. They call it being in the zone, so do golfers. Uh, those are examples. You have been there in your childhood many, many times. What happens? Well, that's an example. The transcendent and immanent at play. Your mm -hmm. ego self is very much dancing with what I call your quantum self. So that gets an example of living in balance. It's fantastic. It's joy. It's really joyful living. 
Yes, 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 yes. I love that. Our quantum self just playing and dancing with our ego self. And really, I love how you've written about the ego, that it's not this um, negative thing that we have to transcend, but really we are transcending and including it when we're in balance and flow with this quantum self. So I love that. With with that and this discovery of wholeness, um, I'm, I'm curious how you, as a scientist really allowed, well, I shouldn't say allow, I, I don't want to um, put that on you, I want to just hear your side of the story is, how does a scientist come into this sense of wholeness, and this innate, innate connection through the spiritual realm? Well, um, I must uh, confess that uh, for me it was um, kind of, uh, accidental, I thought initially, and now I call it a synchronicity experience. What happened was, I was um, I was very much into separateness, and nothing was working in my life around that time. It was 1973, and um, but I was doing quite well professionally, as expected. I was going to be promoted to full professor, and um, so that's uh, top echelon of the academe, I'm happy about that. I should have been happy about that, but of course, you know, when you are unhappy, nothing really makes you happy more than a few seconds. You, your mind goes back to the unhappiness. So with this condition, I am invited to a conference um, and uh, to give a talk. So I go there and give a talk. But guess what? My impression of myself is that I'm not doing a very good job, huge insecurity. And as others talk, I become very jealous that they are presenting better and they're receiving, they are being received better. People are asking uh, questions and paying more attention to them. So I have just this intense feelings of jealousy. Go down the whole day and then even at night when there is a party and, you know, alcohol is freely flowing, those are the days for physicists to be fed um, and drunk by uh, companies who try to sell nuclear power. and um, But that is not making me happy because women are not paying attention to me. They're paying attention to other more handsome men and all this stuff. So I get uh, kind of um, jealous, 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 get tired of it. And then I found that all my antacid tablets, which I used to carry, are gone. Now I panic. And so I go outside. The conference was taking place in a beautiful place called Asilomar. It's right on the ocean. Um, and the ocean breeze hits my face. And somehow the thought comes, why do I live this way? With the conviction that I don't have to. I can integrate my life between work and family and uh, personal life. And that's what I need to do. I need to integrate. So that's how I got into this idea that there is a holistic part of us which we ignore. We get lost in the separateness. And then um, synchronicities remind us that it is not that way. We have a better way to live. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was lucky. Uh, but of course, you know, uh, synchronicity is, is the kind of coincidences that happen to people who are looking for it. So if you are looking for meaning and purpose, this is why I emphasize in all my work, you know, just look for meaning and purpose of your life. This is what will lead you to the synchronicity experiences. 
and will basically uh, unravel. Um, life becomes different. It's like, you know, before I was living by myself, not knowing what I was doing. Um, but that event uh, completely changed me because it gave, gave me a purpose of life. I got to integrate because there is happiness in integration. Happiness did not reveal itself immediately, by the way. You know, I still had to work. I still had to put together a lot of stuff, take risks, and be creative. But it was all purposive. It was all meaningful. And that itself changes your life. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for being so transparent there with your experience. That That's really a powerful example of really what we're talking about, um, you know, moving from being lost in separation to discovering this innate connection. So thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, it also leads me right into then the quantum thinking when you you write so much about quantum thinking and and we talked about how that can shift our perspective of everything but here's another quote i'd love for you to muse into this one with me evolution is fundamentally creative and when we align ourselves with the evolutionary movements of consciousness the universe itself puts wind in our sails Quantum thinking goes beyond the thoughts we're afraid of. It includes unconscious processing, which doesn't just expand our boundaries, but can also free us from the suffering that conscious processing, sometimes known as the monkey mind, creates. And that's kind of the experience that you were talking about at that party, is your monkey mind was going crazy, and you had an encounter with the ocean breeze. I love that. Let's talk about quantum thinking, and and what is quantum thinking, and how can you um, really illumine that for our listeners today? Well, um, you know, we were talking about rational mind before, and scientists, uh, as you know, are uh, very good examples of people uh, thriving on their rational mind. We learn how to use the rational mind so very well. We can even use mathematical logic, so we think we can do everything with our rational mind. Um, so this is the mindset, of course, that keeps us to this one level of thinking. One level of thinking meaning, uh, I, I, I think that if I just think properly, at that one level, um, I will find out everything. So the idea is sometimes called scientific method, that if you work hard enough, if you try all the possibilities that is occurring to you, um, then uh, try them out and find the consequences, uh, see what the, if the consequences can be verified experimentally, and then you got it. Everything is like that. That is the belief. It's called the scientific method supposed to be foolproof. But of course, if you look at the life of really creative scientists, they don't do things this way. They do not do things this way. They do things in a very different way. And creativity researchers starting early uh, 20th century uh, investigated uh, how creative people really do it. And they found that uh, people like Einstein or Picasso, um, they uh, don't just work, work, work and use the scientific method of rational thinking. Instead, they use uh, work, of course, 
uh, focused thinking, but then they also don't think. They just relax. And uh, oftentimes, they say that uh, their ideas came when they were relaxing. Like Einstein's uh, favorite comment was, I get my best ideas while I'm shaving. I'm totally relaxed, I'm shaving, and that's when, you know, and there's the famous story, of course, of uh, Archimedes just taking a bath, puts a foot in the uh, bath full of water, the water overflows, and he has his great idea. So in this way, now it is quite accepted that we need both do and be. Then creativity comes, creative insights come, but what is the role of being? This has been a little mysterious. So when psychologists came out with the idea of unconscious, then creativity researchers immediately figured out, ah, when we are, then we are doing unconscious processing. And that way we are introducing a two-level reality. Reality is both conscious thinking, there is also this unconscious processing. There's a different realm entirely. In the conscious, we are separate. In the unconscious, we are connected. So it's a holistic processing that we can do in the unconscious, and this is why the unconscious is much more powerful in terms of finding new solutions than the conscious. The mistake that we are making before was think that I can check out all the possibilities that come to my mind. Problem is that my mind is very limited, and therefore the possibilities I think of consciously or rationally are also very limited. How to tap into the unlimited? You know, you open your show with the idea of infinite possibilities. Sounds great, but you cannot do it with your conscious mind, obviously, because you don't have any idea because of your constraints, your belief systems. You have no idea of what it is like to be out of the box of your belief system. So therefore, if we depend on the unconscious for processing, um, then psychologists are saying it will be better. What quantum physics does, it explains what happens in the unconscious processing, because objects are possibilities, so are thoughts, they are possibilities for consciousness to choose from. When you uh, allow these possibilities to go on uh, in the unconscious and not bother about think, 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 that do, do, do mind to come into play, what happens is that these thoughts, they become waves of potentiality. And they just expand and expand, like if you throw a pebble in the water in a pond, then you will find that the water waves are expanding, expanding and expanding. That's the nature of the waves. So objects are waves in the unconscious, but they become particle-like very localized, one thought uh, at a time in the conscious. If you allow them to process, we process in the unconscious, then you are allowing the possibilities to choose from to proliferate and proliferate and proliferate. This is the idea of unconscious processing. Quantum thinking involves two levels of reality. We focus on a problem in the conscious processing, very important part. Otherwise, unconscious will go haywire with this way, that way, no focusing. So we put focusing from the conscious, but in the unconscious, we go wild. We take that focusing as just that beginning of that water wave when you throw a pebble in the pond, but allow it to expand and expand and become a big pool of possibilities for us to choose from. This is the game of creativity. This is the quantum thinking.
That is so cool. I love how you explain it, and I love how we're talking about these two levels of reality. And and really, Amit, thank you for that. Thank you for the that the conscious mind we are separate, and the unconscious we're all connected. What a powerful way for us to really shift into quantum thinking. I love, love, love that. We need to take a break. I just want to remind the listeners we're talking with Dr. Amit Goswami, and you can find him at Amit. Goswami.org. That's A-M-I-T-G-O-S-W-A-M-I. When we come back, so much more as we play in this quantum field. We'll be right back. This week's episode, Danger at the Old Well. Last one to the old well's a rotten egg. Ha-ha, I win. Whoa! Ah! Sassy! Johnny fell down the well. I'm wet. What, Sassy? You know where Mr. Gunderson keeps his rope? Go get it, girl. What? You'd rather use his time to set people straight about shelter pet adoption? I'm cold. People shouldn't be afraid to adopt from a shelter? Because shelter pets are screened for sound health and temperament? I'm wet and cold! Sassy, what about Johnny? (laughs) What? Let Johnny sit in the well until he learns to be more self-reliant? Sassy! What'd he say? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Remember, adopt! Have you ever lost a cat? And have you ever wanted to get your cat back after you lost it? Hi there, I'm Andrew Hoffman. I went on this website called inventnow.org. Then I decided to make an invention of my own. It's called the Lost Cat Magnet Invention. So you can get your cat back after you lost it. Just turn it on and lost cats stick to it. That's a good cat. If your cat was hiding up in a tree, it won't be up a tree anymore. It will be stuck to the lost cat magnet. And sometimes they fly toward you in the air. Just listen to one satisfied cat. <coughs> See, that's proof. You should go to the inventnow.org website too. But just remember one thing. Don't do a lost cat magnet. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs, ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you, the enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree, yes, is that one. The free-to-be-me you. (laughs) Ask your parents to take you to this not-so-far-away place. Come to the forest, where the other you lives. 
But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe just listen to it again. Visit our website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find the archive link as well as the listing of upcoming guests. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. And I would love to hear from you. I would love for you to send me your feedback, leave a comment, and sign up for my email list. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com, and come play with us and other global co-creators at goodofthewhole.com. Again, that's goodofthewhole.com. So today we're visiting with Dr. Amit Goswami, and he's written a myriad of books. Today in my hand I have Quantum Creativity and I have Quantum Economics. You can find more about Dr. Goswami's um, work on his website. Again, that's amitgoswami.org, A-M-I-T-G-O-S-W-A-M-I.org. And um, right before the break, we were talking about these levels of reality and quantum thinking and really how it enhances our creativity. It also shifts our, our reality as we're looking at these different two levels of reality. It really helps us to look at the world differently. And with that, I'm just picking up this book again, Quantum Economics. You wrote about unleashing the power of an economic of an economics of consciousness and I appreciate so many topics in this book that I couldn't even just focus on it there's just so much stuff here but I want to start if we could let's talk about money one of the one of the things in the book that you suggest is that we transform our relationship with money and we're looking at the energy of money. Can you talk more about that, please? Yeah, you know, um, uh, this is an idea you can yourself verify. Um, be in a very oneness frame of mind, like you have just visited a satsang, uh, somebody who is very spiritual, or visited a church, or visited a temple, or a zendo, and your mind is opened up, expanded, your uh, heart maybe open, you feel love, all this stuff. And then, um, just as an exercise, think of how much your dear friend makes, especially how much more he or she makes than you. Even a second of thinking about money and how much others make compared to you will get rid of that oneness just so completely, you will be amazed. Yeah. So uh, money, the tradition of, in our culture, you know, American culture is a little different than uh, European culture. Um, in America, the religion is still very strong. As you know, the Republicans are supposed to be the religious party, and Democrats are supposed to be the materialist party. But the fact is that uh, Republicans are quite materialist too, and Democrats also um, have that bug of religion quite a bit in America. This is why we oftentimes say 60, 70% of 
Americans are actually believers of God. So um, uh, this being the case, what happens is that um, we grow up with a, a religious idea. In Christianity, you know, poverty is glorified. So we grow up with the religious idea that money per se is a bad thing. And of course, uh, you know, we suffer from a dichotomy here because we also believe that capitalism and American dream is a good thing. So, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it, it's one of the dichotomies that we need to look at. And the dichotomy mainly is centered on the idea that money itself uh, is not such a good thing. It has a negative energy in most of our uh, picture, pic, picturing of money. Mm. And that um, is also conveyed in adages like money cannot buy happiness, money cannot buy love. These are things that we constantly feed to our children, making it clear that, look, you can go in search of money, that's okay, capitalism works, and American dreams should be fulfilled for every American, but ultimately these things don't, uh, you know, serve us because they don't buy us uh, love or happiness, which is, of course, what we want. So in that way, we are forever of the divided mind. On one hand, we want to fulfill American dream, on the other hand, if we do that, we do not have the ability of buying anything of value with the money. This um, is what has to change. In quantum economics, it changes because we uh, put all of our experiences as commodities in the market. So we are saying that, look, we have experiences of the material, and that, of course, is already uh, subject to the economic market. But we also experiences of feeling, and they're a kind of energy, not material energy. We call it vital energy, life energy. But it's, it's a sort of energy. It's a movement. You can feel it as a movement. So um, uh, can that be subject to the economic market? And the technology and quantum physics uh, is saying that, yes, it can. Quantum physics gives uh, a scientific description of these energies and uh, also explains how it can be uh, indeed represented in matter. And uh, we can now sell those representations, just as we discovered some, some time ago, printing press, where we found that our meanings, mental meanings, can be represented in a book, and then we can sell that book. Today we have the technology of putting wonderful feelings of love into a bottle of perfume or a bottle of water, and we can drink this vitalized water and feel rejuvenated or feel love much quicker than we would otherwise by reading a book, for example, reading a spiritual book or a uh, romance novel. So in this way, we are ready to expand our subtle market. It's already we have a subtle market. Books are part of the subtle market. Alternative medicine is part of the subtle market. What I'm suggesting that when we do economics of consciousness in a systematic way, then we can expand this subtle market in such a way that the conventional market will get a huge boost, huge boost. And the time for that has come because the theory is ready, the technology is ready, all we need is a willingness to consider that, look, this is all kosher, and if we do this, 
um, the uh, two things happened. First of all, the difficulties uh, that we are currently having with pure materialist uh, economics, as everybody knows, the Great Recession happened just a few years back, and um, those kinds of things will never happen again because this new domain is infinite. It does not have the uh, limitations that material domain of reality has, and so we can go on expanding the economy infinitely as is required. And this way, um, our sustainability problem is also solved because sustainability is a finiteness problem. We don't have finiteness anymore. So that's the great news in one way of looking. And the other way of looking is even more fantastic. Have you noticed that how uh, jobs are uh, going away? And, you know, people like Trump, they usually say jobs are going out to Mexicans. No, they're not uh, going out to Mexicans. That's an illusion. They are going away much more to, guess what, robots, to computers, to mechanization. That's where our jobs are going away. And, 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 and they will and they should because that's the whole idea, to free the human being from routine jobs so that we can do better with our holistic life, with our meaning life, with pursuing purpose. And so this is the time that the transition has to be dealt with. It's a little scary, but as you get the hang of it, you will find that it is quite wonderful. What happens when we consume these wonderful subtle things like noble feelings, virtues, love, beauty, those things, or we are able to be fair to someone. It is enormous, enormous amount of satisfaction that they bring. So uh, what happens as a result is that you become a new you. It gives you, it makes you a person that's likable, that's coveted by others as company. You generalize that a little bit more, and you find that if you do that, to the extent that you are a transformed person, then you become a sage. And uh, have you ever been in the company of a sage? You feel love. I have been. You know, my wife and I were once going by the Ganges, and somebody uh, says, hey, you want to come in? Laughing Baba is talking. So the word laughing Baba captured my attention, my wife's too, because, you know, laughing. Baba means father, so that's uh, any spiritual person can be called a father because, you know, they give us sustenance, they give us support. But laughing, why is this Baba? Is he always laughing? So I'm a little curious. So I go in, my wife too, we sit down, but the Baba is talking in a language that I don't uh, quite follow. I know a little bit, but cannot quite follow. So my attention is um, sort of spread all over. And then I notice that everybody's face had a smile on it. That makes me curious. I examine my own face. Yes, I too am smiling. And I immediately understand, oh my gosh, this guy's presence produced that happiness that makes people just unconsciously break out into a happy, smiling face. I have experienced this more than once, more than with one person. It really works. And so my question, suppose I bring a laughing Baba and put him in an office in downtown, wherever you live, and then there is a sign on the door which says that one hour with the Baba will cost you a couple of hundred bucks. Would you hesitate? 
would you hesitate to be happy for two uh, one hour for two hundred dollars? I wouldn't. So in this way, these things can be made into commodities, and you can be it. After you buy happiness for a while, you become curious and you cultivate yourself and you become a human capital who can be uh, invested and make money for others. It's, um, it's, it's, it's an idea whose time, uh, whose time may very well have come. Why keep ideas and, and, and feelings and meanings in, uh, in books and uh, vitalized water? Why not keep them into yourself and become uh, investable capital yourself? This is the kind of idea that we talk about in quantum economics. Mm. Yes, I thank you for that example. The quantum economics, you're, you know, you are talking about quite literally a whole new world, and and I really appreciate that example. But you're you're also talking about so this here's the subtle market is ready, and learning to be new consumers, learning to be conscious quantum consumers, will create a new way of producing as well. And that was one good example. I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners more about that as they're going, okay, well, I can't imagine that creating myself as um, a commodity. But when they begin investing in what they love and what they're conscious about, it also creates opportunities for others to create more conscious business. Let's just talk about that for a while, of our new ways of consuming and producing. Yes, suppose I become interested in my vital energies. Have you noticed that we live in a culture where obesity is kind of natural? It crops, uh, creeps in upon us and unaware. We are always feeling tension. We are always feeling nervous and anxiety about various things. And then we eat. We eat snacks and we eat diet drinks. And, and uh, those drinks are not really diet drinks because they make you go for the snacks much more. Have you noticed? Please do because um, you were talking about a pattern of habit, which basically is, um, you know, obesity-producing. Uh, even diet drinks, and many people drink uh, sugar. Uh, that's even worse. Um, so what is the way to prevent that? Well, you already go to, you know, diet clinics, or you buy diet food and all this, and you think that's helping you. It really isn't, because as soon as you give up the dietary um, uh, procedures and supplements and return to your normal habits, you'll find that all the weight that you lost during dieting, you have gained them back, because your craving, your craving is back much more manifold than before. So what's the remedy of it? The remedy of it is that you're missing in the calculations that scientists have done so far, the prevalent science, we just connect with the material aspect of reality. We don't connect with the rest of the subtle aspects of reality. So we think that when we eat, when we drink, it's all question of keeping a balance of carbohydrate, fat, and protein. We have learned to put uh, in the equation exercises and stuff. This is why diet drinks don't really work because you know, unless you couple it with exercise, um, it's not going to produce the kind of 
um, internal temperament which will allow you not to eat snack. In fact, it's going to promote you. It's going to take you towards snacking. So all this is what is missing. The missing part is what we call vital energy. The vital energy is an essential part of food and nutrition. This recognition itself will change the economy and how you consume. Because every time you consume food, you will ask the question. Every time you consume drink, you ask the question, okay, I get the equation in terms of the material content of this food or this drink, but what is the vital energy content? And you will be surprised. You will be surprised. The diet food especially, the food supplements that you get, that does not have the vital energy content that your original food had. And therefore, this food does not give you satisfaction. Of course, by your strength of mind and because you have to and because of the regimen that you have set up, you take pills which uh, suppresses the hunger. In that way, you manage to go through the dieting, but as soon as you give up the dieting with all those hunger pills, they're bad, bad stuff. Uh, have side effects, you have, but you can do it only for a short while. If you do it continuously, you'll get sick in other areas of your body. So, um, but as soon as you're back to normal dieting, your craving is even more than it used to be. So you gain the weight back very quickly. This is all because you're ignoring vital energy in your nutrition. And this is the new market that I'm talking about. We need to have vital energy back in the diet food. So what I suggest is that, okay, getting rid of fat in your food is a good idea. Getting rid of calories in your food is a good idea. But let's do it without sacrificing the vitality. Let's do it properly. We have the technology now, take the vitality out of the food and put it back in the diet. Now you might say, well, why don't we just eat original food? But the original food does have more calories, does have more of the fat part of the food that makes us fat. So, you know, diet is, as I said, it's not a bad idea per se if you are careful about getting adequate vital energy. And this is where the habit of a consumer also needs to be changed. Just as we have vitalized products coming into the market, vitalized diet food, the, uh, you must also be similarly conscious that vitality is important, vital energy is important. You can get vitality by through food. You can get vitality also through by vital energy exercises. This is why there is a consciousness now of many Americans who go to yoga, who go to Tai Chi, who go to martial arts, and these are all designed to get your vital energy equation right. So in this way, uh, training and consumption will go hand in hand with technology and production of vitalized products. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. What a, what a great example for us, and I just want to remind our listeners because um, what you just did in that last question was brought out your expertise also in quantum health and you have written so much on all of these topics quantum everything so I want to just remind our listeners to go to your website and check it out if you have an interest or a topic and you want to put it into the quantum field 
go check out Dr. Goswami's website. So, Dr. Goswami, we have just like five minutes left, maybe four minutes, and I like to talk about visioning the new world into being, and you've done a great job here today as we're talking about creating a positive future and, and making these shifts, these quantum shifts in how we're thinking. But I'm wondering, from your perspective, I'm going to throw a little curveball in here because I like to look at the greater good here. From your perspective, what might be one simple shift our listeners can make to serve the greater good of the whole? As we're looking at what is the greater good of the whole, what one simple shift might they make? Okay. I mean, this is a very, very big question, but I'll make it as short answer as possible. So the selfish being, which is essential part of capitalism, very useful part, by the way, um, makes capitalism successful. Modern economy is, is, is a superior economy, no question than the feudal economy that used to have. And the basis part of it is, of course, homo economicus. It's very selfish individual, this very selfish producer, the very selfish consumer. And then uh, we constantly wonder, well, how does the greater good comes in this uh, way of running the economy uh, in capitalism? How can capitalism also incorporate homo communis? Because we are in a part of a community. We live in a community. Uh, our interest directly can um, uh, be also the interest in the com- of the community. You know, otherwise, we get in deep trouble, like right now we are with global warming because you know, corporations and companies have been polluting the environment too much, and the environment can only take so much uh, fossil fuel burning that produces carbon dioxide and greenhouse effect and all that stuff. So um, what do we do? How do we become both homo economicus and homo communis? That's a formal way of putting your question. So the answer, of course, is that we have to open ourselves up. We are this very selfish being called the ego. We have to open ourselves up. How do we open ourselves up? We open ourselves up by considering more than the experiences which are the most separateness producing. So material experiences are the most separateness producing and close second is the mental brain-based experiences. They are also very separateness producing. Feelings and intuitions, those are our road back to being connected. I made comment about women's intuition. We need to talk about men's intuition as well. What do men have to do? Open your heart. So how do you open your heart? So this vital energy consumption, this vital energy uh, outlook of life that we want better vital energies, this is the key to becoming also more intuitive. As we learn to love the world, as we learn to uh, love the environment, as we learn to love our community, we can gain back the homo communis. So what do we do? You know, you hear the secret today. Movies have been made. You hear the attractor principle. A lot, uh, you know, things are attracted to you. Well, you know what? The things that are attracted to you are things like what we call archetypes, love, beauty, abundance, uh, goodness. These are the things that are attracted to you. Cars are not attracted to you. 
your pots and pans and sofas and houses, they are not attracted to you, sorry to say. But who are attracted to are these agents, love, beauty, truth, goodness, abundance. So pay attention to those things. Pay attention to your heart, not always to the brain, and you will get there. Your life will become part of the community, and you will be both homo economicus, taking care of numero uno, but also homo communis, taking care of the community. Uh, Perfect, perfect. I have goosebumps. Dr. Goswami, thank you so much for joining us today. What a beautiful way to end our show. You're very welcome, Julie. Oh, I love that. Let's all learn to love the world, the environment, community. Okay, together we create connections for the greater good of the whole. Till next time, I'm wishing you all a world of love. Bye for now.